three, two, one. Hello, hello everybody. Welcome to episode 154 of the No Normal Show brought to you by Revive. This is where we leave all things status quo, traditional, old school, boring, in the dust and celebrate the new, the powerful, the innovative, the future, all related to how brands can lead the way in health. I am your co-host, Chris Bevelo, Chief Brand Officer at Revive. I am joined uh, by our other co-host, Des Duncan, Vice President of Health Equity and Inclusion at Revive. Hello, Des. Hello, hello. How are you? Doing good. Looking forward to today's episode for, for many reasons. We also have with us our show's producer, producer Luke McCandless. Hey, Luke. Hey, Chris. Thanks for joining, sir, and all that you do. And Stephanie Weirwell, who is our other normal, normal, she's normal. She's normal. <laughs> That's a good way to qualify her. Our regular co-host is unable to join us today, so it's it'll just be the three of us. Uh, we are going to talk about a lot of good stuff, but we're going to start by just sharing a little on Des, your and I's one of our favorite entertainment resources. Is that fair to say for you? I it is. To, I'll speak for you. Okay. Yeah. After each episode, I'm like, I got to talk to Chris. Got to see what his take was. Yes, and that is the that is the series Atlanta, which is which is I think well, we would talk about Atlanta no matter what's going on, but it is it is connected some ways to our our main topic today. We're going to talk a little bit about health equity and where health systems are at and what they can be doing. But uh, I don't know how many people in our audience watch Atlanta. Des, I don't know how the show's going. It was a critical darling. Did I say that? Mm -hmm. Critical Darling when it first emerged and for the first two seasons, uh, I think it had a pretty healthy audience. Went away for a while, pandemic related. They had, yeah, I think they just went away for a year or two. At least two years. Yeah. So I think that's all the last season, 2018, maybe 19. Yeah. So this is a show that is developed, produced, written many times, directed many times, but really is the is kind of the brainchild of Donald Glover. Uh, who is an actor, who is a singer, uh, brilliant guy. And so season three is out now. And season three is, woo, it's interesting. I think that's the best way to put it. Yeah, there's definitely a lot happening. Um, (laughs) They're telling all the stories. They're going there. Yeah, and and what's a little different about this, uh, if you're a fan of Atlanta, first of all, I know a lot of fans of Atlanta who either haven't started watching season three or didn't even know it was out. So if you're a fan, you've got to get into season three. Uh, If you haven't watched Atlanta, I think maybe I would encourage you to start from the beginning. I think it will really help with the storyline. But I think what Des and I want to talk about today primarily is not the storyline because this season they've introduced kind of a new format where roughly every other episode, not exactly, but almost, uh, they have what are called anthology episodes. So they're standalone episodes. Uh, they do not include anybody from the main cast because there's a kind of a, a regular cast for the show. Uh, and it each of these typically addresses in some way a theme of race and racial relations and racism, racism um, in a very creative way. Is that a, is that a fair way to summarize that 
Yeah, it is a very provocative way that just really um, sits with you. Like with each of those episodes, I find myself sitting on the edge of my seat because it's like, I have been there. I have felt this in my bones. What is happening? And just curious, given that, you know, I'm, of course, coming from the Black experience, I'm always wondering like what um, white friends are experiencing with watching this episode, which is why I was like, I got to talk to Chris because I know that you have a, a, a good critical mind on these things. Well, we, my wife and I have loved Atlanta and we love the season uh, and it has pushed us. It has pushed mm-hmm. us in ways that the show hasn't before. Uh, and I think some of the stuff they do is, is genius. So let's just talk real quick because we could spend the whole darn show on this if we're not careful. <laughs> let's talk about our fa- one of our favorite episodes. Do you want to go first? Yeah, I mean, I feel like they started out really strong with that first episode. It was giving me get out vibes. <laughs> Um, in that you're watching, you're used to the the regular cast members and this season they're on tour in Europe. Um, but they start out again with that anthology episode right out the gate. And it really sat with me. So the story was around this um, young black boy who is then taken into foster home um, by two white women who also has other children. Um, and it's based on a true story. I won't give the details away. Uh, I had no idea about this story or I'd heard little ruminations of it, um, but just each moment, each experience and each um, response that the young man had to what was going on um, within the foster home, I was like, oh my gosh, I feel this so, so deeply. Um, it's just, yeah, really, really interesting, really smart um, the way that it ended. And it just talks about the the Black experience around how we just essentially we have to figure out a path forward. Um, Whatever is put upon our plate, we just have to figure out how to get through it. What's your favorite episode, Chris? Well, there's a, there was a lot, but I think the one that just really, and you're right. Some of these episodes have almost a thriller horror vibe to them. Um, And I would say there's probably people who watch my favorite episode think that it's the big payback. And basically what it is, is it imagines a future in which the court's, uh, allow lawsuits from former slaves to sue the families that owned their family, you know, way back whenever, uh, mm-hmm. this wasn't that far back, but far enough back. Right. So that if you're a descendant of a slain o- slave owner, you can be sued for reparations by a slave that your that your descendant owned. And it just, it, the, 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 the movie is, or the show is, incredible because it's from the viewpoint of a a white guy well-off white guys doing good uh and it it definitely has horror vibes uh because at the end there's some there's some violence uh and it's very startling so the whole show is just brilliant but i'm going to talk about one scene and i know you've got you've got a scene that you like uh the, the scene opens with our protagonist in a coffee shop and he's got his airpods in and he's just He's just kind of in line. He's not really paying attention in front of him. There's a little bit of a kerfuffle and the person behind the counter is asking the first person in line, which is a a black man to please get out of line and get back into line. So she's treating him kind of terribly. Mm -hmm. He's not paying attention. He's just kind of looking at the cookies that are in the like aisle with him so that he gets to go up there and he's just smiling. He gets his coffee and he's completely oblivious to what's going on around him. And he walks out and he gets to his car. And he realizes he still has a cookie in his hand and he never paid for it. And his response is, oh, 
I just walked out with the cookie and he just starts eating it. And it's, mm -hmm. and it, it is, it is a two minute summary of white privilege. So succinct. Uh, it, and if you, if you're not paying attention, you might just think it's an innocuous scene. You're like, what, what was that about? Why are they in the coffee shop? But when you, when you are tuned to it and you realize what's happening, you're like, holy crap, that two minutes said more than, mm -hmm. you know, whole movies have said powerfully. So that's just the start of that episode. Oh yeah. And you know, for me, it was more about, you know, what I'm thinking about, um, I talk a lot about like, what, what makes you feel like they're actually talking to you or they're reflecting your lived experience. There was a, a scene later on in the episode where, um, so the, the guy, the protagonist, he's going through a divorce. He's, you know, heading to his new apartment and in his, in the scene, he's just in his car, but you can hear, uh, Keith Sweat playing outside and like I instantly know what's about what's happening what's and then it cuts to the scene where the the family that's suing them is you know hanging out uh you know all the relatives are there you know it's a cookout but as soon as I heard the first like couple of notes I was like okay I know what's about to go down um and I love those moments where I feel like okay the, the these writers uh these producers they get it um, and how can we make sure that, you know, we can find other opportunities as marketers um, to do that exact same thing instead of just speaking generally, you know, to an audience and having some generic statement. It's like, how can we best reflect and tell a story and almost like what you were talking about, too, about you can say so much in just that depiction of um, the white privilege than you can in just having a whole big speech about it, you know. Yeah. And, and this is why I think this relates to what we're going to talk about. But I'll be honest, I had no clue who who that what that song was, what it meant. Mm -hmm. I had, you know, I, I just you hear the music and you, you don't really know what's going on because that's not my lived experience. And mm -hmm. I didn't know. But I, I listened to a podcast uh, that recaps the show and it's two two black men. And they're amazing and they're hilarious when they talk about this show. And they had the exact same reaction you did, Des. They said as mm -hmm. soon as they heard Keith Sweat, they knew it was going down. And I'm like, what What are they even talking about? Which I think proves what you're saying, right? Mm -hmm. Like if I had written that show, that scene's not in there. Because mm -hmm. I would have no concept that that was something that would have meaning. So, so if the show's incredible. It really will test your thinking, but depending on where you sit on all of this. Uh, it's hilarious. It's very well done. These anthology um, episodes are almost like movie quality. That's how good they are. So I think if you want like great entertainment that is on the cutting edge of our culture, Atlanta for sure. Uh, and if you want to learn something, great. I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily watch it for that because I think if you don't like the show, you're not going to learn anything. But if you like the show and you're like me, you're going to learn stuff along the way. So thumbs up for atlanta one more one more episode is it already out and i just haven't seen it uh yeah i am way behind myself i think there oh. might be an episode or two that's out but yeah it's the other thing i'm just gonna say weekend. i i can't even with this episode because when you said like he's going the guy the protagonist the white guy's going through a divorce he's going through his a divorce because his wife realizes what's happening and all of a sudden starts claiming she's chilean like <laughs> she's white as snow but she's like well i'm I'm from Chile, so I don't have your problem. He's like, Chile, what are you talking about? It's the first time I've heard that from you in our entire relationship. Uh, anyway, it's just full of great mm -hmm. stuff. Yeah, All right, so, so many. 
Yep. Sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. I'm good. There's just so many things we can keep going and going, but let's shift subtly uh, because we had intended to talk about this today. This has been on the calendar for a while. Des is part of some research that we've done around health equity and health systems that we're going to share. Uh, and it's and it's unfortunate that we have a reminder in our world of why we have to continue to talk about this. And I'm, re I'm referring to the uh, the Buffalo shooting that happens, I don't even know now, a few days ago, as of this recording, this weekend, yeah. I can't remember. Yeah, I've been traveling. Weekend. Yeah. Um, not why we're doing this, complete coincidence, but unfortunately, I feel like no matter when we would have this this topic, Des, there'd probably be something we could mm -hmm. reference. So um, just, of course, all of our thoughts to all the people involved in that. But let's talk about the research that you've done and uh, why don't you set it up and we'll just walk through uh, the main points of it. Yeah, I mean, you know, coming after, you know, George Floyd, of course, there has been more conversations brought forward around health equity, advancing it, addressing health inequities, disparities. Um, and so we wanted to understand, you know, you know, as we're five, we wanted to understand where our, our clients and other medical executives and professionals in the health systems across the country, you know, what are they actually doing um, to affect change for health equity? Um, what are they doing from a diversity, equity, and inclusion standpoint? So we talked with a couple of um, number of different folks and, and gleaned a, a few insights. Um, but something that was really interesting and I'd like to, to point out was that when you it's about a terminology thing, right? Like words mean things. And whenever we hear the term health, uh, health disparity or health equity, um, the conversation automatically switches to uh, like, oh, well, you know, we have, we're partnering with, um, you know, community health centers and FQHCs. Um, and it's like, well, okay, yes, like that's, you know, great work of what they're doing um, to serve, you know, uh, lower income folks. However, you know, what is your system doing to provide inclusive care? You know, what are you doing to ensure that the patient experience across the board is equitable and that all patients feel, you know, cared for? Um, so that was really interesting that something that came out of that. But some of the three, the three top points that came out of this is that, you know, health systems are essentially answering this health equity wake up call. Um, but so often it can feel like, you know, there's so much to tackle that it's, you know, feels like you're boiling the ocean um, and that you don't know where to start. Um, but essentially what we gathered was that, you know, the trust gap across the country is, you know, growing. Health systems are looking how to build trust and form deeper community connections. Um, in order to successfully do this, uh, number two is that health systems um, need to redefine what community means and kind of like what I was talking about before, where the community automatically means like, oh, well, um, you know, these particular folks, it's like, no, it's it's actually much larger than that. Um, and then three, thinking about, you know, what role the marketing plays in addressing some of these health uh, inequities. So around trust building and, and like I said, building those deeper connections with communities that, you know, might have been neglected before. And when we're thinking about that trust gap, you know, that's a conversation that's been happening, you know, more and more so recently, and that the medical industry has given people a reason to mistrust. Um, it's not that, you know, there's always talking about like, oh, well, black people don't trust a hospital. It's like, it's, we didn't get there by ourselves. You know, this is based off of, um, you know, 
history of racism and racial discrimination, you know, are the surprise building, all of these different things of not being treated um, at times, almost like you feel like you're not being treated as a human or that you're not being, you know, carefully looked after. When you think about your experience in the hospital um, and talking with other friends and it's like, with white friends, especially, it's like, oh, they, they didn't ask you this question while you were there. It's like, no, what do they, it's like, they asked me this every single time. And it's just those little things that, um, that go neglected. So essentially it's up to the hospitals and health systems to build or rebuild that trust. If it existed among consumers, it's not on, um, communities of color, LGBTQ plus folks to, to do this. It's, it's on the system to start to build that relationship, um, and build that trust with their patients. And oh, go ahead. I was going to add a couple of things, but go ahead. No, no, okay. jump in. So, so first of all, if you're if you're curious about the degree to which this happens, this what Des is talking about. Pick up Joe Public twenty thirty. The fifth prediction is called disparity dystopia, and there are pages of statistics. Uh, that speak to this to, in, in all the ways, all the way from life expectancy differences based on race to does my doctor listen to me? Am I cared for as a human? Th it's all there, right? And it's documented. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's not even a question of where, whether it happens. Uh, one of the things I know in your research does, and we can talk about it more if you want, is, um, you know, folks place more, place more trust in clinicians than systems. Um, and, and it's a double-edged sword because that's probably likely because clinicians are humans. We're, we're going to trust a human in front of us rather than an organization. Flip side of that is it's the humans who have biases. It's the humans who have tendencies that they may not even realize. So one of the things I know we would encourage is really come to grips with what the statistics say, but what they say in your organization is going to be different. Maybe better, maybe worse, probably both. This can be better in some places and worse in other places. And that's the other key. This isn't something that you should be thinking about or measuring just on an organizational basis. Any hospital or health system is a is a you know a Byzantine collection of areas and services and groups. And your your overall, let's say you measure something like, does my does my physician treat me? you know, as a human, I'm just making that up. And there's and overall, there's no difference between races in that answer. That's great. But that doesn't mean there isn't one section that could be dramatically lower. So you've really got to get down almost to a team level, maybe an individual level when it comes to physicians, because they're so important to the relationship to make sure that you're not glossing over looking at it too high of a level. Yeah, because there's that, of course, that intersectionality of folks, um, whereas like, you know, there might be this wide swath of, you know, okay, amongst the races, like there isn't any sharp um, difference in, you know, how they're being treated. But what about, you know, looking at that from a, you know, how they identify, you know, um, their gender, their um if they're part of the LGBTQ plus community or religion or, you know, all of these different factors that play into it. So it's like understanding, um, you know, who the person in front of you is. Um, and when we're thinking about trust, you know, you build that, it's like the three C's, you build that through competence, you know, that's, you know, effectively treating the health issues, um, providing a safe place for care, um, and then two, caring 
um, you know, making sure that the hospital culture prioritizes patients' comfort. You know, it's about that patient experience. You know, how do they feel um, throughout that um, that hospital stay? And then here's where Marcoms can come in, and it's the communication. You know, how are we communicating with patients throughout their journey? So consumers, essentially, you know, when they're in their living moments, um, when and then when they come to the situation where they're in these thinking moments of like, ooh, I'm really starting to have this pain. Um, so they start to look online to, to, to see reviews or they ask friends for um, referrals or who they, you know, they trust. Um, and then in those really solving moments where they are starting to, um, schedule time with doctors. So what's the experience with that? Is the, um, is the website accessible? Um, you know, is there a phone number that a person can call or is it all just on the, uh, on a website or an app, you know, what thinking through all of the different ways to make sure that you're removing these barriers. Um, so thinking about how, you know, from a marketing and a branding standpoint, what's the type of messaging that you're putting out there? Uh, when we spoke earlier about, you know, how can I speak more authentically? Um, how can I make um, all the folks, because if your vision, your mission for your organization is to serve all, then how are you speaking to all? How can you make sure that all see themselves um, as getting, um, you know, equitable um, inclusive care and thinking about, you know, their personal experience. And that's going to take listening, you know, it's going to take being a part of the community. Um, you know, so often the thought is that, um, the most, uh, the, the folks that you really want to focus on are, um, the, that middle class, you know, the insured and that's, you know, the community quote unquote is defined as those that maybe be that might be on uh, Medicaid, Medicare. Um, but essentially there is a whole swath of folks that, you know, we're not actually speaking to. And so that's why like that, that listening and understanding, you know, you can start from within, your employees are the community, you know, chat within about what's going on. What are you hearing in the community? Uh, who are the community leaders that we should be connecting with? Um, because it is about, you know, finding that if you don't have trust, you can't just go out and, you know, market your way into trust. You have to connect with those that already have the trust of the community. Yeah, absolutely. So do you want to share? I know you've got some examples. Well, before we get to that, the other part of this does, and maybe you can speak to this a little bit, too. Uh, and I know Stephanie was here. She would make sure we talked about this. All of all of this. You know, we started off talking about Atlanta and race relations and justice and inequities and all the things we're talking about are important just to ensure that we're treating all humans in a decent and fair way. But there's also a, a side of this that just makes complete sense for your organization as a business. You know, so many times we, we hear our leaders talk about the need to, hey, we need to grow our patient base. Oftentimes what they're talking about is we need to go out there and, you know, new geographies, new markets, new services. It's all kind of net new, um, trying to find net new things. When we have communities that we serve and we're not serving them well, and if we could figure out a way to serve those communities better, there is growth in that. So the point here is that this makes sense, not just because it's the right thing, but because it's the smart thing. Exactly. I mean, as the census told us, um, 
And as we've kind of felt all along, the country is growing more and more diverse, more multicultural, um, where we need to think more about how we can speak to those experiences um, and make sure that those those folks feel like they are welcomed. So, for example, if you, um, you know, making sure that you are putting all of your communications, all of your social all of your content in multiple languages, um, English and both um, Spanish. Um, and depending on your community, you might want to make sure that other languages are represented, Mandarin. Um, because if anything, like, yes, a lot of uh, folks from the Hispanic Latino communities, you know, are dual language speakers. They, sp- they speak both English and Spanish. But there's something to be said about if there is any kind of literature that's actually uh, transcreated into Spanish, then it feels like, oh, they are actually speaking to me. This isn't, you know, just like some, you know, piece of content that's flying by. They actually want to reach me and my community. So let me take a a second look there. Um, The same thing when you're thinking about um, various ads that consumer brands have put out where, so for example, Gillette uh, Men's put out, um, some really interesting content storytelling and some ads a few years ago um, that were focused more on trans men um, and that experience. And it makes you feel like, wow, okay, Gillette is paying attention. Um, you think about Fenty Beauty, Beauty our, our queen, Rihanna, our company, and you're looking at the kinds of products and clothing that they're creating and designing and considering all bodies, all sizes, all shades. Um, When you look at a mannequin that has curves like you and not just some stick figure, you feel like, okay, I I can wear this dress. Like this is something that I can see myself wearing. Um, Or even with, you know, bridal companies who have done such great work in reflecting the communities that they serve where they'll have um, same sex, um, uh, wedding stories. They'll have like there was a, a window display of a uh, a wedding gown um, with the 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 mannequin sitting in a wheelchair. So representing all abilities. You know, these are all the things that yes, you're speaking directly to that particular um, community. However, it speaks volumes to the rest of us and to the brand that you are and who you represent and who you serve. That it, it just shines a light. I was like, ooh. That's a company I want to support. That is a hospital I want to go to because I feel like they're really going to take into consideration my needs. So, Des, let's wrap this up because I think there's a there's another side of this, and I just think we need to make this point. Um, that is all true, and you talk about you. It shows something to the rest of us, but we know there's another group of folks that not only don't see value in this, we'll actually call this out in a negative way. We see this more and more and more. And I'm actually, I mean, we could just go on and on in that as well. Um, I don't want to get political, but there is a, a new Sports Illustrated um, swimsuit, I think a swimsuit issue potentially, that just came out. And it featured, um, you know, women of all shapes and sizes. They're all beautiful, but they're not your traditional skinny swimsuit model. And there's been, you know, certain personalities coming up, just tearing it to shreds, um, mm-hmm. saying these are not these are not beautiful women. I don't care what you say. So there's there's more light, and depending where you live in this country, <laughs> some places more so than not, um, you're going to have voices potentially when you do this that come out. 
And the message I want to leave there is you have to stand strong. You have to, this is again, not just the right thing to do um, from our point of view, but also the smart thing from any point of view. And that at the end of the day should be enough, but you're, you, you have to be prepared that there may be people in your community or otherwise who actually raise their hand and, and call you out uh, for doing this in, in a bad way and be ready for it and keep on going. That's my message. Yeah, I, I, I wholeheartedly agree in the sense that more of the country is growing diverse. That means that that's the market share. And if you aren't being relevant and speaking um, and serving these communities, you're going to lose relevancy. And there is that opportunity for some of these new entrants to answer the call, serve well, speak authentically too. Um, that could take those consumers and those patients away from you. So it, it's it's beyond just something that you need to like, oh, it's a good thing to do. It's like, if you want to continue serving, then you need to learn and speak to the folks directly that you're serving to and give them what they need. Yep. All right. Any last point you want to make before we wrap? Good. I just did it. Watch yeah. Atlanta. We'd love to hear feedback on folks who watch Atlanta for the first time. Love it. So good. It's it's a show that you have to go back and watch again because mm -hmm. it's so good. And also one of those shows that's so layered and so rich. You're like, oh, I totally missed that the first time. So that's our recommendation. All right. So Des, thank you as always. My pleasure. Luke, thank you for your help and support and putting these things out. Absolutely. Thank you. For all of you listening, thank you for joining in. If there's something you want us to cover, shoot us an email at nonormal at reviveagency.com. Make sure you share the show with friends, colleagues, anybody who would be interested in learning about what's hot, cool, future, important for leading the way in health. Give us a review and rating on iTunes. That would be appreciated. Until next time, don't be satisfied with the normal. Push the no normal. Thanks, everybody. We'll talk to you next week. Three, two.